0: Welcome to Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, your host, Christine Ko, and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, you will come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life, Through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Hello, friends. I am so thrilled to bring you an incredible guest, one of the most authentic and beautiful people I know, Rebecca Wolf. Hi, Rebecca.
1: Hi, Christine. Thank you for having me.
0: I am so excited to talk to you. And it actually has been so long since we have exchanged auditory utterances (laughs) that this is a joy. And I just want to share a little bit of brief background with our listeners here about you. You are what I call a writer for life. You started freelance writing at age 16. You were a true pioneer in the parent blogging space with your blog, Girls Gone Child. It's still up. I did check yesterday. (laughs) And not just in developing a new way of communicating authentically about the ups and downs of parenting, But also, it was no small deal that you were among the first to attract sponsors and make a living at it. It was really quite amazing to watch it all unfold. You're a mom of four, one son and three daughters, including twins. And our conversation today is grounded in your truly stunning memoir, All of This, A Memoir of Death and Desire. So again, welcome. I just cannot wait to talk to you about this book. I loved it so much.
1: Oh, thank you so much, Christina. Thank you so much for having me. And I always get excited. I've done a, a few podcasts with some OG bloggers mm-hmm. and it feels like so I don't It feels like a reunion. I don't know. It feels really exciting to have conversations with people who are there in in sort of those formative Internet years, because you were also pioneer. You were there too, two thousand six.
0: (laughs) Yep. Yeah,
1: and and it's it's sort of it's this amazing. I know we were talking about this for a second before you started recording, but like our babies that we were writing about as new moms are now in college or about to be in college, and yeah, yeah. So,
0: well, I know it's incredible, and I'm I'm gonna just try to keep myself from freaking out the whole time we're talking because I am just genuinely so excited, but let's dive right in. And the reason I wanted to frame this episode today in a theme of authenticity is because the honesty with which you write is so deep and compelling. As I mentioned in the intro, you have been writing for so long. So I was curious where this deep authenticity comes from. Like, Was there a notable moment of bravery or evolution, or has it just always been inherent in how you communicate
1: you know I think I think a lot of authenticity and the the safety one needs to feel that they have in order to write freely and honestly comes from childhood Mm. comes from the support um at least for me that I was given as a child I was writing I started writing, you know, diaries, diary entries, although not locked. I have a whole, I have many thoughts on the locked diary, and who is it? Who is it actually protecting? Who's not protecting the writer? I'll just say that. But I, I do feel because this is this has sort of come up for me recently, um, that I, I felt all throughout my childhood so supported and so. Um, seen for who I was and never f- felt judged, never felt shamed for my truth um, by my parents, by my family. And I think really I, I have to give them credit for that. And it's informed, mm-hmm. you know, how I parent as well. Um, I think that it's impossible to be truthful and honest and brave without feeling loved for. All of those things. I think it's really, really hard, at least. And I, I I sort of realized through writing this book, and also in in the months since it's been released, just how supported I am and how loved I am by the people that I love. Right. So obviously there are people that don't, you know, have 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 thoughts and feelings about this book and me. But really, I sort of had a moment with the release of this. And really, anytime I've published something that scared me, which has been, you know, over the years has been quite a few times. I've Mm -hmm. I've, this this book isn't isn't a departure necessarily. I've always written pretty candidly about my experience, recognizing that I will be judged for them. Um, But I I sort of kind of had this moment where I I looked out at my people and my family and my community and was like, wow, I am so lucky to be loved and supported and seen. and I think so much of of my my willingness to share openly comes from that support, um, which is what I want to sort of now give to everyone else. Like it feels like, you know, yep. the, the, the more honest you are with people, the more honest, obviously, they are with you. And it just becomes this sort of I, I think without even trying you know, we make it safer for others when we ourselves feel safe. So it's such a gift to give that to somebody to, to as a parent, as a friend, as a partner, to give somebody the safety for them to feel like they can express themselves limitlessly and honestly and with
0: love. Mm, that's so beautifully put. Not surprising as a writer. And I, I did. There are many moments in the book where you you do actually issue a welcoming. You know, for that authenticity, for that self reflection. And I think that's so powerful. And it's interesting when you mentioned obviously any piece of creative work is not going to be received unanimously in a positive direction. And I think probably, I would venture to guess, if I were to armchair psychologist (laughs) it, that it's hard, probably sometimes, to read other people's incredible. Honesty because it forces you to, you know, look in the mirror and think about how you've been showing up in your own life. And I think that that's something that so many of us wrestle with all the time. So I think it is a beautiful gift that you have given people. So, in your introduction, I found it so powerful where you set the stage for how complicated and necessary it was to share the full story about this journey with your late husband, Hal. I mean, the actual good, bad, and ugly of it all. You wrote, I had to give myself the space to remember him without forgetting, to love and loathe with the same level of compassion, to forgive us both by looking deeper into the story with equal parts celebration and criticism. I, I wrote that down immediately when I read it because it was so striking to me. So I was wondering if you can just share a bit more about that moment with Hal, when he suggested that you needed to write, really write this full story, all of this, mm-hmm. did that even seem doable to you in the moment, given everything that you were dealing with? No, not at
1: all. I mean, when we had the conversation, which was, I mean, obviously, I've been writing about my life my whole life. So he knew while he was dying that, that I was going to write about this. And so he had said to me very early on, you know, you have to write about all this when I die. And I think maybe uh, I don't know it's hard it, I, I i in the past, I had written about us and my experience, but it always been i had always been protective of him, mm-hmm. protective of my family um and not necessarily protective of myself mm-hmm. um I don't think that i I even really uh recognized that until later until recently um but in that conversation, you know, I I felt like he was giving me his blessing as much, as much blessing I was ever going to get from him to write Mm -hmm. a book, not necessarily this book. Um, I do, you know, in the past I'd written about us, I'd written about my marriage, but I'd always, he'd always gotten, you know, final cut. I always sent him whatever I wrote about him to make Mm. sure that he felt comfortable with that. Obviously you can't do that when someone has died. So, you know, I did, in a way, write a book that was not consensual, Um, you know, that he wasn't here to Mm -hmm. to consent. Um, And because of that, I was able to be more honest. I was able to tell my story. I was able to sort of really, like, really kind of untangle the wires of my grief Mm -hmm. which I believe grief is extremely nuanced. I feel like when someone dies, we're not just grieving the death. We are grieving the life we had with them. Mm -hmm. And we are grieving in a lot of ways, you know, what that life looked like. Um, We have complicated relationships with people and they die. That doesn't make the relationship any less complicated after they die. In fact, I think it actually complicates it even more Mm -hmm. because when someone's out of your life, and you're able to sort of be in this life without that person. You're able to realize maybe, oh wait, I was I'm better off without them mm-hmm. or I I'm in a much healthier space now that I don't have to deal with them. And this isn't just a partner, this is parents, this is people in your life just in general. Um, you know, and I think that we we don't allow ourselves to explore all of those feelings. When someone dies, we're supposed to re- sort of release them and release that, you know, our our You know, we're we're not supposed to we're not supposed to go in and really look at it and look at the relationship and look Mm -hmm. at how we feel. We're supposed to just let go and grieve and move on.
0: Absolutely. And I think the thing that was so powerful to me in reading about that duality of, you know, wanting to be, um, you know, to love and loathe and all the things that are involved with that is I felt like what an extraordinary way to really undergo the healing process by giving yourself the space to have those feelings in the first place. Right. You know, it's, yeah. it's so people are so scared of death, you know, for obviously obvious reasons. It's a it's a topic people don't want to talk about. And yet it's the most normal thing. And I feel like we should have more conversations of, you know, about what it means and the relationships and everything. So it's just yet another incredible thing that you did in the book.
1: And I think people, you know, when you come out of a relationship, whether it's a breakup or a divorce, or there's so many different ways for relationships to die.
0: Mm-hmm. And we
1: we have we have a grief experience when it comes to divorce and breakups. Um we allow ourselves to feel angry and to, you know, recognize, you know, the full scope of feelings, right? Mm-hmm. We don't do that in death. We yeah. don't do that. Um and, and I, I my feelings after he died were really similar to you know, people that I knew that had been gone through divorce, I had already grieved him. I had grieved our relationship. I, I had love for him, but it was a very different love than I had in the beginning of our relationship. And people very, you know, the same way people, people come out of a divorce, you know, there are certain things that they don't talk about or they, they sort of, it's, 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 it's very specifically this, like, uh, I don't know, like you're allowed to be angry you're mm-hmm. you're you're given permission to have all sorts of feelings that you're not given permission to have when someone dies. Right. Um and that was really a really isolating experience for me because I didn't I didn't have any any there there really was no model for that. Um and I knew because I've been talking to other widows or other people who've lost spouses that they had similar feelings to mine but they they were not they did not exist in any sort of public forum and you know I I a lot of you know, this book and why, you know, the introduction was, was very much like, this is for you, this is for us and come inside and, and trying to create a safe place for people to feel like they could talk honestly about the nuances of their grief was because I didn't have that. I didn't have a place. Um, right. Right. So I think, and, and, and kind of going back to like, you know, the mommy blogger life and how it started, You know, that was always for me. I was writing from a place of I don't have anyone to talk to about this. I feel alone with these feelings, this experience. So I'm going to write about it. And it's sort of like if you build it, they will come type of thing. I'm going to create a community of my own. This Mm -hmm. one doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that, you know, when the introduction of this book and with this book was sort of, you know, the intent was to create a safe place where women or anyone who is grieving a complicated death. Could feel like they could, they could
0: come and sit down and we could, you know, hold space for each other. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So powerful. Okay, Rebecca, we have a ton more I want to ask you about, and we're going to do that after a quick break. Did you know that hyaluronic acid naturally occurs in our skin, but decreases gradually as we age, leading to thinner, drier skin? If you're looking for support hydrating your skin from the inside out, check out one of the tools in my hydration arsenal, Rituals Hyacera. Clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days, I take Hyacera every morning with my first glass of water and like all of the Ritual products I have tried, the capsule actually smells good. Rituals products are tested and validated by a third party for allergens, microbes, and heavy metals. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash edit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash edit for 25% off. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Oftentimes, when asked to think about what one would do with a bonus hour, people reference things like exercise, play, and rest. These are all super important things, and I would recommend adding getting the support you need and deserve to your list. As a mom, independent business owner, and human blessed with many relationships, I spend a lot of time giving. So one of the greatest gifts of therapy for me has been the ability to know that someone is holding space for and listening to me. No filter required. I adjust my session frequency as needed, and it is a huge comfort knowing support is there for me. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. This online therapy platform was designed to remove the traditional barriers to therapy and make mental health care more accessible to everyone. Simply fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com edit today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash edit. Hello, friends. We are here with the wonderful Rebecca Wolf and having just a beautiful conversation about safe spaces and authenticity. Rebecca, I'm curious about your thoughts on the interplay between authenticity and shame. I think people often find it hard to share themselves fully because of shame and embarrassment. And in your book, it's remarkable because you talk openly about shaming experiences and yet that does not hold you back in communicating with authenticity. So how did that unfold during your writing process? Did you ever fear judgment or did you just go?
2: Um,
1: I I'm very, I'm very, uh, I mean, I expect to be judged. I think, I think one thing that's kind of amazing about growing up on the internet is that I have never written anything that wasn't criticized. Um, and that doesn't mean that people haven't been incredibly supportive. They have been. I've, I'm so fortunate that people have been, you know, you know, loving and supportive of me my whole career, but they've also been critical and judgmental and said horrible things to me mm-hmm. about me. Um, and, you know, it, it's sort of, I, I, I sort of feel grateful that I, I, Over the years, you know, I think you get to a point, at least I got to a point where it just stopped. It stopped affecting me. Um, And I think the reason why is because, again, I have so many people, the people who know me, Mm -hmm. who love me, like truly, those are my people. And I don't really care what anyone else who doesn't know me and love me really thinks about me. I don't I don't feel ashamed. I don't feel guilty. I don't feel sorry for having a human experience, for having had a human experience, um, and I don't, I don't know if that comes from years of basically accumulating a thicker skin,
3: mm-hmm.
1: or just also feeling myself like I don't judge others or shame others for their experiences either. And I don't, I don't, you know, I, I think that we, I think everything is complicated. Um, I don't really villainize. I mean, I don't villainize myself, I don't villainize Hal in this book, I don't think. I don't feel like I do. I, I really wanted to tell a story about two humans being humans, and I don't feel like there's anything shameful about any of it, about sexuality, about death, about feelings. Um, I think that everything that I felt while he was dying um, in my marriage were very valid. I think the things that he was feeling were valid. Um I validate other people's feelings, whether they love me or loathe me or judge me or, um, support me. Um, and I think I just feel really sort of like, I, I sort of, I, I, I open myself up to all of it. Um, and I, I really do it. I really do. Um, you know, I, I think that when you, when you trust people, like kind of beautiful things happen. I think for the most part, people see that and they feel that and they trust you back. Um, You know, I I, I compare it sort of to how I parent too. Like I, I talk really openly and honestly with my kids about things that I think a lot of parents wouldn't talk to their kids about because of fear of judgment, because they don't want their children to think of them as anything other than, you know, these sort of parents on pedestals. I am not a parent on a pedestal. I am... I do things all the time that people wouldn't be okay with that. I'm not okay with necessarily. Like I'm a human being and I'm super okay with that.
0: Um, We are complex and imperfect and exactly as we should be. (laughs) Totally. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, your book was harrowing and personally quite familiar (laughs) in its descriptions of the topic of consent in particular Mm -hmm. And it made me think of our dear, dear friend, Gabrielle Blair's book, mm. Ejaculate Responsibly. Yes. Listeners can go back to the archives to hear an incredible recent interview with her, by the way. Why was it important for you to share these stories in the context of the whole picture?
1: Um, well, I think, I think for me, understanding my marriage understanding the kind of wife i was the kind of woman i was i needed to sort of go back and and understand the kind of girl that i was um the kind of teenager that i was the kind of um how i was with boys how i was with men um i i don't i never really thought a lot about consent in those days i don't know if Many of us did. Mm
2: -hmm. Um, I think
1: there were a lot of I had a lot of realizations later in life that experiences weren't consensual. Um, And I think, you know, there were experiences in my marriage that weren't consensual um, that, again, took me years to sort of recognize. Mm -hmm. Um, And I felt like it was important because, again, I don't think these are I, I think it's I think my experience is extremely normal. I do not think that, like you said, it was familiar to you. I think it's familiar to every woman, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. And I think that talking about it again in ways that don't necessarily villainize, like I'm not here, you know, to point fingers or to call anyone anything. I just want to talk about what my experience was like and what that felt for me, how, how that felt for me. And, you know, I think it's okay to sort of, you know, to come away from an experience years later and to realize how damaging it was. Um, And I think a lot of times we don't realize that in the moment. And, you know, for me, having non-consensual sexual experiences and sort of like writing them off or not wanting to be a victim or not wanting to talk about it or not wanting to embarrass a boy or call him out. um, You know, I think that was is very much like makes a lot of sense for the kind of personality I have, which is to want to make sure that everyone feels happy and seen and taken care of and loved mm-hmm. and not wanting to hurt anybody or embarrass anybody or call anybody out. Um including my husband, including in my marriage. Um, I think that, you know, women, you know, my side, I don't want to speak for anyone else, but I think a lot of us protect the men in our lives. Um, I think, again, like I I mentioned the diary earlier, and I sort of had this epiphany recently where I realized that girls, at least like, you know, when I was growing up in the 80s, as a small child, I was given these diaries with locks. We were all given these diaries with locks. And the sort of idea was like, oh, my God, you, you write your secrets in here. You lock them up and it's there. They're there to protect you. And I sort of had this epiphany recently about the lock diary and who does it protect? Who is it really protecting? Is Mm -hmm. it protecting us really? Or is it protecting everyone else? And, you know, we, I think we raise our daughters, you know, I think societally, we raise our daughters telling them that they have secrets and to keep them to themselves. Right. And there's a lot of shame and stigma when it comes to speaking honestly and openly about who you are as a sexual person, who you are as a person. (laughs) And I think you know, I, I, don't think we think about it. I think we think that we're, we're protecting ourselves. What we're really doing is protecting everyone, but ourselves. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, this idea of secrecy of, of protection, I know, I, 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 think, I think a lot of us have, are, I think a lot of us are in a space right now where we're thinking like, Oh, who was I, at? who was I really protecting? And why was I, why wasn't I protecting myself?
0: Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. A lot, many, many familiar threads. Well, speaking of sex, I, I think one of the reasons I love reading memoir and just different perspectives, obviously, is it it opens my mind to a different way of thinking and a different way of looking at things. And so, I found your writing on the back half of the book about sex and open relationships, like, just completely was a reframe for me, and so fascinating. So I would love for you to talk about your lens regarding the freedom of being untethered and sort of uh, the capacity to love and why it was important to share about this.
1: Yeah. Well, I think, you know, a lot of the struggles in my marriage had to do with fidelity. Um, And I think, you know, the sort of the uh, fidelity was always something that I struggled with. Always. I, had, you know, I mean, even in my youth and high school beyond, I I was, I always struggled with monogamy, um, and fidelity and not really believing in it. Um, you know, having, I was having affairs really early on in my marriage. They weren't even necessarily, uh, triggered by, um, anything specific. I, I just, it was very, I was very clearly, um, wired differently than a lot of people I know who feel Mm -hmm. safe Mm -hmm. within a monogamous situation. Um, That was not my experience ever. Um, I never, I never, I always, even as a young person sort of wondered why it's my body, it's my choice. And we go around saying, it's my body, it's my body. And then this idea of, of being in a relationship with someone, suddenly your body is their body and their body is your body. And, um, it just, it never really, it never really made sense to me. Um, but again, you know, I got married really young. I, 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 I wasn't fully formed. (laughs) I didn't know who I was. I didn't know really what I wanted, truly what I wanted. And, you know, after he died and I was no longer married, I was, it was really important for me to sort of, to be very true to my own desire and wants and comfort mm-hmm. and safety. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, I, I had a relationship. I was in a relationship pretty early on after Hal died. I dated a lot right up, right in the, in mm-hmm. the aftermath, but I was in a relationship, um, you know, several months later and it was open. It was non-monogamous. Um, and I did write about that in my book mm-hmm. and then all my relationships since have been open, um, and I, I felt like, I felt like it was an important thing to write about because it was a huge part of my
0: life. Yeah. Um, true, your it, true self, like yeah, being able it, to express. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And it came off, you know, the aftermath of this relationship that I did not feel safe in. And I was creating sort of a new paradigm. I was creating a new, I, I was, I was starting over and saying, this is what, I want. This is what I don't want. I was very clear with people. Very communicative. I wasn't lying. I spent years lying, and I, I was like, Fuck "That I'm not lying about anything anymore." This is who I am. This is what I want. This is what's you know what I'm into. And I I was you know completely 180 sort of in that department. And I think writing about that, especially after you know after being in a marriage that was kind of built on lies. It was important for me to come out the other side and to you know to share that part of my experience which was like oh no I'm not going to do that anymore I'm on it I'm being honest mm-hmm. and it's so interesting because people are people do not know what to do with that oh okay people, yeah. people I think will be I'm like, very, like people are like yeah. the first half of the book do not read the second half like it's really disgusting yeah oh my gosh t- okay. she has she has children like like, I shouldn't be TMI. surprised. I shouldn't be surprised. People are but, really, still. <laughs> but that's, but that to me is even more affirming of why I, I'm, I wrote it and why yeah. I should write and, and why it's like the fact that this is taboo or that this is uncomfortable for people, especially because it's in the same book that I wrote about a death and all these other things. They're not supposed to coexist. I mean, it's in the subtitle. Like yeah, it, this is a part, this is my experience. This is, this is who I am. This was You know, this is, this is an integral part of my grieving experience of my, of my figuring out who I am, what I want, um, in the, in the wake of, of, of that marriage and the death. Um, and I think, you know, I think it's really interesting how polarizing that part is, um, you
0: know, I mean, I guess it's not surprising, but I know I'm (laughs) sitting here thinking, of course, it's not surprising, but also it's surprising because it's so beautiful. And, and I, I don't know. I just, I found it incredibly compelling and brave and, and just authentic. (laughs) Well, yeah. Okay. Well, friends, we have more, we're going to chat about with Rebecca. We're going to just take another quick break and be right back.
4: Hey there. I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilled Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. You are not alone, and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy.
2: If you like this show, there's a decent chance you'll also enjoy the Shameless Mom Academy. Hi, I'm Sarah Dean, the founder and host of the Shameless Mom Academy. The Shameless Mom Academy is a podcast for moms that centers moms more than it centers your kids. With 700 episodes to choose from, you're likely going to find something that sparks and speaks to you inside the Shameless Mom Academy.
0: Hello, friends. We are back with the wonderful Rebecca Wolf. And let's talk about parenting. You touched on it a little bit earlier, Rebecca, but I want to call out that the openness with which you communicate with your kids is amazing. I've seen it play out for a long time online, but felt like it really synthesized as a whole when I was reading the book. And the descriptions about your experiences and rituals together, it felt earthy and at times mystical. I just loved it. Earthy is a book. I I love that. I've been using that word when I talk to people about your book. It's the word that comes to mind. I
3: love that.
0: Do you have a recommendation for listeners for how to parent with authenticity and love and I can't help but tag on a very Rebecca Wolf type full circle question, <laughs> but is your parenting style attributable to your mom, who clearly is such an inspiration to you? I love her in absentia.
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, thank you. <laughs> um, I actually think I'm a very different parent than my mother, like a very different mother in a lot of ways, which is really interesting because I do value her as a mother like above all else. Um but I do think we pair very differently. Um, and I, I, I mean, I, I'm similarly to her. I hope I am very, um, you know, I, I, I treat my children like people.
3: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: I do not, I do not judge. We have a very shame-free open, open household, which, you know, is what I grew up in as well. Um, I, I definitely am more of a, um, whatever, like the opposite of a helicopter mom is, um,
0: free range, free range. And yeah, whatever the,
1: <laughs> um, which my mother was definitely more helicoptery with me. She was, you know, like I, I remember piercing my nose and she cried for like weeks. Um, and, and my kid, you know, if they could pierce whatever they wanted and I like, there's, there's things about us that are very different, but, um, but I do. I mean, I, I, she's incredible. No notes. I love her so much. And she was an amazing mother and still is. Um, I, and I don't even know. I, I think, I think I was, I'm well, I, 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 got really lucky in that. And I didn't even realize this, I think at the time, but I, you know, I had my first child really young. I was 23 and in a way I sort of grew up with him. So there was always sort of this peer aspect to my relationship with my kids where right? I was always kind of felt like I was a kid too. Mm. Like I never really felt like I was an authority figure in my home as as a as a parent. Um and so I feel like, you know, when Archer was growing up, I was growing up too. And Fable's growing up, I was growing up too. In fact, like there was just, I just wrote about it too. I'm gonna publish it soon. Cause I'm about to launch a sub stack literally tomorrow. Oh, um, I can't wait, <laughs> which I haven't even talked about. Nobody knows about it. I'm like I'm secretly. Um, and I'm going to start writing about, you know, long form about this stuff again. But I, my daughter and I had a breakup within 48 hours of each other, like it was her first breakup and it was not my first breakup, but it was like my first, like devastating heartbreak since I was like 19. And we, started, we had these breakups at the same time. And at first, you know, she it, hers was first. Um, mine came next. And I didn't want her to know. I wanted, you know, it was like it was all about her. We were doing like breakup baths and, and she, you know, I kept her home from school and it was a whole thing. Um, she, you know, it was devastating. And then I had this devastating breakup and I didn't want her to know about it because I didn't want to hijack her moment, right? Yep. I was like, so I was like, totally hiding it from her. And then she found me in the kitchen, like maybe on like pretty soon after it happened. And I was like, are you okay? And I was oh.
3: like,
2: I
1: also, I, I'm also going through a breakup. And we had this moment and she was like, oh. And it turned into the most incredible like bonding experience where like she brought me into her room. She started playing me breakup anthems on ukulele. This one's for you, mom. This one's for us. Like we, she made me like a mixtape, a breakup mixtape. And it was this whole thing where I realized like, you know, uh, that there's something really beautiful and poignant about having sort of shared experiences with your kids. And I think a lot of times we think as parents, we need to separate that or like there, I mean, obviously boundaries are important and I'm not going to trauma dump on my kids, but allowing them to see you as a person, a heartbroken Mm -hmm. person, a person who's suffering and struggling and having real feelings like they are, you know, I think a lot of parents are afraid that, that that's going to freak their kids out to know that they're human. And just like them, parents, they're just like us. But the reality, at least in my experience, has been completely the opposite, where Uh I feel like, you know, my kids come to me with their problems and I'm talking to them as someone who's going through stuff too. Not as someone who already has when I was your age, bullshit. But like, no, this is happening now. And by Uh the way, this is always happening. We're the stuff that happens in high school happens as an adult. The stuff that's right, like everything that's happening to them as children is also happening to us because we're all people we're in different phases of our lives. But I think just like, you know, I think like allowing yourself to be relatable is okay. Yeah. Um, instead of sort of, sort of like separating yourself from experiences and sort of talking down to them or being authoritative or trying to give advice. That's the other thing I don't do. I do not. I'm like, I, I, Advice. I'm here to validate my kids, not to give them advice. So Mm -hmm. that's another big thing for me is that I've learned, like, and this is actually something I've learned from my mother because my mother was always trying to give me advice and I hated it. I hated it. (laughs) Just let me be, let me live, let me figure it out on my own. So for me, you know, I think really the only thing you ever need to know as a parent is to validate your children. It's your job to validate them, not to tell them what to do, not to tell them how to do
0: it. And um, I think this is a long I just like very long windedly.
3: <laughs> no, in, like
0: two words. It's, it's It's absolutely perfect. And I just want to tag on as a a recovering, actively recovering emotional robot that it is one of the best gifts you can give your kids to be fully authentic about you as a person with feelings, because that's going to help them learn how to process their feelings and become emotionally fluent, which I feel like is the backbone of humanity and figuring out how to be in relationships with people and all sorts of things. So I, I totally. am, was I'll, pumping my fist here on the other side. While yeah, you were talking. No,
1: thank you. Also, like you can't expect your children to trust you if you don't trust them. I think it's like really, mm-hmm. I think they're like, I think equity is such a huge part of the parent child relationship. And I think you know the sort of old school way of like the author. I'm the authority and and I'm the parent. You're the child. That mentality is. I do not subscribe to that at all. That to me is like
0: that. I, no, I disagree. Yeah. yeah, incredible. I was just jotting down a, a pull quote for something that you said because I I want to put it on a. I just want to slap it out on the internet because it's so good. <laughs> all right, Rebecca. I have one last question for you. So at the end of Each episode, I ask my guest to share what is called your next edit. It's a super actionable tip that listeners can consider doing right away after they finish listening to the conversation. So, in the context of our conversation about authenticity, parenting, everything under the sun, I would love for you Mm -hmm. to share your next edit for our listeners.
1: I think, you know, along the same lines of the idea of, of the diary and And protection, I think this is something that I'm constantly asking myself and something that I'm talking to my kids about actively, too, when it when it comes to consent, when it comes to authenticity is what are you hiding and who is that protecting? Mm. Um, I think really so many there's so many different ways to ask yourself that question for so many different scenarios. And I think it's always really interesting what comes back. Um, I think that, you know, for me as a parent, it's my job to prepare not to protect as a partner. I don't want to protect somebody over my own, over my own self. Um, I think that it's, it's, I think like it's a really wide reaching question and I, yeah, I think that's a, that's a good one to go with.
0: (laughs) I think it's perfect. I think it's perfect. Rebecca, thank you so much for giving me this time in your schedule. This was a beautiful conversation. I feel just, um, energized and full of love and compassion for humans (laughs) and i love you so much and i'm i love you so much just incredibly proud to know you and so stunned by your creative work and the person you are and who you show up as every day so thank you for joining me for this conversation today
1: thank you so much for having me it was so lovely chatting appreciate you
0: take care okay friends you'll find the show notes for this episode including links to resources and related episodes at edityourlifeshow.com as ever, I would love to hear your thoughts and questions. Come say hello on Instagram or Facebook at Edit Your Life Show, or send an email to edityourlifeshow at gmail.com. I would also be grateful if you would drop Edit Your Life a review on Apple Podcasts or tell a pod loving friend about the show. Thanks for listening.
3: Real truth alert pregnancy, birth, and having a baby isn't all sunshine and rainbows. I wish it were but the reality is that many people struggle and suffer through this time without the right help or even knowing what they're dealing with. I'm perinatal psychologist, Dr. Katyun Kayani, also known as Dr. Kat. My podcast, Mom and Mind, aims to shine a light on the difficult reality that so many hopeful and new parents experience and raise the volume on how we can better support mental health, which is a big part of our overall health.